Alrighty, welcome to The Gooch, episode two. Today, we're going to be discussing taxes, <laughs> or as I like to call it, theft. Uh, yeah, this is Evan again here, the voice of the right, the voice of the right way to do things. And once again, we have uh, Tristan here, the uh, the voice of the left, and Adam, who is actually a little more involved today because we have a mic for him. So hopefully we can hear a little bit of the uh, the more neutral side, the more centrist here. Maybe there <laughs> yeah, is a middle and, ground. Try and bring it back. Try and bring it, bring it back home. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I know we were just kind of talking about, uh, you know, cigarette le- legislation, things like that. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to touch on royalty or luxury tax quite yet. The one thing I really just want to start this conversation off with is to what extent is tax a part of society that can't be removed in today's culture. Okay. So I think before we start, so we did, we did a really good job last episode. I think we kind of brushed past it in finding common ground. And I think that's kind of just the, the benefit of having two guys who've worked in sales where finding common ground is a kind of a prerequisite to finishing the job. Exactly. Absolutely. So I think before we even dive into it we kind of have to come to uh, an agreement on what we mean when we use the word tax because there's yeah. there's financial tax there's social tax absolutely right? and uh i think that because i have i have the <laughs> the role of of defending the left and I, i'm gonna have to adopt ideology i don't necessarily agree with fair enough I think that if we have a common definition, we can at least I can I can go refer back to that and make it a little bit easier because I'm well, I'm quite far left in terms of my support for taxation. I am completely opposed to things like a communist government. So Fair enough. I'm not that far over. And for that reason, I just need something kind of to anchor us to. Yeah. I guess we'll start with income tax. Okay. You know, I think that's a, that's a pretty general, you know, thing to kind of bring up. I mean... Very relatable. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've all paid income tax. Yep. And, you know, if we haven't, we're, we're going to. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of yeah. how we structured things. We end the up in jail like Blade. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, how many movies do we have to make here to, oh, no, we didn't pay for those. No. Oh, oh, or like that first Survivor winner. It's like, oh, I got my million for walking nude on a beach for the last four months so uh yeah leave my taxes out of this but uh yeah yeah but no, uh I, you know for me like the things i'd really love to discuss is how the bulk majority of society has to pay tax yep but it seems that larger businesses and the ultra wealthy somehow <clears throat> sidestep that yep you know and either we're going to live in a society where everybody's taxed to the same laws and everybody has to follow the same laws under the rule of law. Or we live in a society where we take taxes away, you know, and that's the way I'd like to go personally. Like if you look at it, income tax was created, I believe during the first or second world war as a means, it would be the first as a means to kind of bridge the gap between the deficit but then, you know, it was elected on, it was voted on, and it was supposed to be a temporary thing. But then, you know, the government saw the amount of lucrative, you know, action that they just took and said, oh, well, we can keep this going. And so, then when you, so, yeah. so just, just a little bit on that. So, yeah, it was the First World War, and it was about financing the war, so to be able yeah. to get in there. And so there was a... 
<clears throat> almost like a general benefit to the, the overall population. But prior to that, taxation wasn't wasn't exactly a novel theory. So like Canada had been imposing taxes 200 years before we were Canada. Mm-hmm. So like 1650, you had the Hudson Bay Company who would impose uh, taxes on New France for like beaver pelts and moose pelts and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Like husband, a piece, some people might often, often realize that Hudson Bay Company is, is like the precursor to Canada. Yeah. That all their trading posts is what established the country. So, yeah. It, and, you know, even, even to this day, I mean, like you, you go into smaller towns and you know, trapping is a is a very lucrative business today, to date. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, people that come into our country to hunt and to have that, you know, uh, new world kind of experience. But I don't mean to cut you off. It's just, oh, no, 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 it's you all kind good. of see that still is a big part of Canadian culture, I yeah. guess. Oh, totally. And especially in like the more northern or rural regions, right? Like mm-hmm. obviously if you're touching the water, you've you've been uh, engulfed in trade on an international scale that's so high that you're probably, I mean, just look at California, New York, and you can do the same thing with Toronto and Vancouver, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, granted, Toronto is not, you know, they're landlocked, but they have access to the United States directly. So the the culture that you get there is going to change. It's going to become more of a melting pot like we discussed last time. Mm-hmm. But I think with the, the taxation aspect, um, taxes in other forms as well, like personal social taxes existed long before that, right? Like tithing towards the church was like one of the original things. You owed the church as part of your role in, in wanting to get into heaven. Yeah, right? and some people still uh, tithe their income to the yeah. church. You know, it's, it's still part of that belief system. Yeah, so it, it was... It was kind of born out of two ideas where the the overall existence in the public square isn't free. Um, and when it got tied to the war and the idea of finance, um, it was it was used as an economic engine to mm-hmm. be able to finance things that we otherwise wouldn't be able to. Right. Like a huge investment idea. Yeah. So the. But the one thing that was slightly different is so it was it was intended to be uh, semi permanent, but. Um, it was actually a, a part of the provinces that in that benefited from the system that actually wanted to continue this because they were able to build up their municipalities. So there was there was local benefit as well. They realized, oh, we can actually still <clears throat> collect these funds, but we'll have different things to put them towards. We mm. definitely we don't have to put them towards a war. We can build infrastructure. Yeah, and so. Um, it wasn't like a ooh, look, we have a money grab opportunity. It was more we ha- it, there was more utilitarian approach to it, where we went, oh, we actually have this money, and we just went like the like at the decision. You kind of have to remember the lens that was being made through, like the the end of the first world war. There was a boom through the twenties, yeah, but late twenties we have a huge market collapse, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, ten fifteen years later, we're now wandering into World War Two. But in that interim we needed to finance a lot of things. And that was really where a lot of the decisions were made. Mm -hmm. So the war finance decisions were made by uh, an alcoholic Supreme Court justice or head of the Privy Council in the 20s. But he, yeah, he, he more or less um, was acknowledging the, the fact that there was some sort of need for, for a financial uh, backing for the public good. Yeah. So, that was born out of basically a massive global collapse of uh, on an economic scale that no one's ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're talking like Roman Empire falling kind of levels. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they went, well, we can we can pool money together like we did for the war. But this time we can put it towards our own people. 
hmm. right? Rather than fighting and killing others, we can put it towards benefiting, building ourselves up. True. So I, I just think that I just want to plant that flag that it wasn't a money grab. Like a, I, yeah, I, you I'll know, acknowledge it definitely has converted into that over, yeah, over the years. Kind of the it started thing. off that way, right? Yeah. yeah, but yeah, it started off as something that was beneficial. Right? Yeah, well, it's it's like that. Uh, <laughs> That, that that whole superhero mentality, like, you know, it's like you start with the best of intentions and then Lex Luthor, you don't become a evil thing overnight. It's every action you take that leads you to that, yeah. you know, and I, I think now in today's society, it's just become such a complex thing to navigate. And, you know, we talked yesterday, uh, or not yesterday, I guess last week, uh, just kind of about, you know, the, the things you need in a society where we have complex taxes and complex laws are lawyers and accountants. And we've now given, you know, like, like we talked about again, uh, the CRA can send you a bill. They don't, yeah. you know, they, they, they choose not to because they, they win either way. Uh, but I, I think the real thing I want to discuss about taxes is like just the difference of opinion, right? Like there's always the way we could go more taxes. We can give more to the social, welfare of society or you take taxes away and take those safeguards away i don't know uh, that those are the only two options though. well that, yeah that's, I mean, that's why i wanted to kind yeah. of get that first definition because mm-hmm. i do think that there's other ways of imposing a burden which mm-hmm. I, I think is another way you can define a tax a, a burden of some kind which is where it kind of melds in with the social side mm-hmm. on business yeah. right and so that's that's kind of where well, I guess the issue I have with tax is it takes the choice of the individual away, you know, uh, rather than to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than having the ability to buy my own insurance, should I want it to protect myself? Should I get into trouble? I now pay tax so that everybody has access to the same health care, education, utilities or whatever you want government to control. And like the issue I have with that is, well, what if I don't use those? So, yeah, and that's and that's like that's been the argument for a long time. I think that one. So I'm trying to remember the name of the legal case. I believe it was out of Australia, but there was the the stemming issue in terms of the common good, the public, the public benefit um, was because there was a public square. And basically there was this asshole builder who decided he was just going to build a giant house in the public square. And everybody was like, what? What what the fuck are you doing? This is this is everybody's property, and he was like, "Well, you weren't using it, so fuck off." Yeah. And then they were talking about, "Well, no, it has to be for the public good. It has to be public use, and all of this." And then he was like, "Well, who who was going to maintain it? All it was was long grass." And so you actually get this interesting back and forth about that public utility, and that's where the benefit of giving up a very, I mean, in the in the context of a of a public park, giving up a very small amount of your resources in order to pay to maintain it for largely the benefit of the, the publicity, like the public at large. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and so a lot of our trails are public parts, all of those things, basically the public zone is that, that part is in, in my opinion is quite idealistic, but also quite beneficial to everyone. I think mm-hmm. it's great to have public roads, for example, to, to have to pay a toll to go down a certain road, Versus not have to pay it to go down another is it is it's absurd to me. Yeah, I mean that to me is a little that's for, and that, some, for whatever reason I don't know. That's kind of the the tough point that you get when you take the laissez faire or laissez faire capitalist approach is you start looking at the utility of objects and things in society that everybody takes utilization from, but they're not really 
no one wants to pay for them. Like, yeah. for example, like a street lamp. Like, great to have. It illuminates the area, reduces theft, makes it safer to drive and walk at night. But who's going to want to pay $2,000 to build it and then maintain it? But there obviously is the utilization that everybody well, if you have 2,000 people there, yeah. everybody pays a buck. Well, but that, then and you're just taxing at that point. But that, but that's what I mean. That, yeah. But that, that was the easier approach to dealing with that. And so when I'm talking about imposing... Uh, or, or creating an imposition, you can create that at the behest of business. So rather than personal income tax, it becomes mm-hmm. a corporate responsibility. If you're operating in the public, yeah. then you have to then give back to the public good. Because one of the things that's been born out of the more recent decades of capitalism is an excess of, honestly, just excess, right? We have trinkets that are unnecessary that are being sold by by the hundreds of millions well, things that are necessary aren't being manufactured to Is the same extent. Is my dog inside? I don't know. <laughs> Give me a second. Alrighty. <laughs> but yeah, so I think... We, that, we can edit. Yeah, we can always edit that out. That's just something that I just want to make sure. Yeah, 100%. Puppies first. Yeah, she's upstairs. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to let her out. I was like, holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we can edit that out, but yeah. Oh, it's all good. Yeah, I don't want to end up pound. Maybe I'll edit it. Well, what happened? Well, I was doing my podcast. Well, you shouldn't have people over right now because of the... <laughs> hey, hey, I think you're definitely going to want to edit that out. You don't want to be giving her that voice. For, uh, for legal reasons, we uh, we are a support group. Yeah, we always. A, a support group. Always a support group. Wow, well, I think this is a good support group. <laughs> I think just for my own fucking me- mental health, great support. Yeah, absolutely. Keep you frosty. Sorry about that, Adam. Yeah. I, I know you, you got to go in and cut that out. But yeah, I guess where we left off, you know, like it's ultimately you either give the power to a government or, uh, you know, an individual, you know, but uh, I don't the, see those as the two options. I think yeah. if the individual has uh, unlimited power, um, you have to remember in the context of the current world, an individual or a person also includes a corporation. Corporations have personhood. They mm-hmm. have legal personhood. So if you're giving the power to corporations, then we're going to have a pinto effect again, right? Which, for those of you who don't know, uh, that's a, just a kind of a side jab at an old uh, old legal case where Ford decided to bury <laughs> a memo talking about the cost it would have uh, they would have borne to protect roughly 200 lives well, the a year. issue i actually know that 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 legal case really well um basically the pinto was designed with a uh with the the, the fuel reservoir yeah uh very close to the back end of the vehicle and just how it was designed um there was a lot of uh you know ways that could have been punctured uh, to create a uh you know rather large uh explosion, explosion. <laughs> um and you know it, it was only i think three dollars or something 13 Th- 13 yeah, 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 yeah sorry i knew it had a three in there yeah there you go uh it, it was only 13 dollars to fix but then ford sat down with all their accountants and said well Statistically, if this many people get into accidents, if this many people are dismembered and this many people die, this is how much we're going to have to pay out, you know, based on these amount of sales. Whereas if we fix every single vehicle, we're going to be spending a lot more money. The problem Ford, obviously, yeah, Yeah. the, the problem Ford ran into was those discussions were found yeah and uh you know the the public was able to kind of see that you know reckless endangerment for profiteering yeah. right and it was just like well but they do it all the time they did it with a bronco 2 it was built with a two short wheelbase the engineers said no nah, this is gonna roll over and fucking kill people but they did the same thing 
You know, and this was after the Pinto happened. They yep. didn't learn from it. It's just the ability for these companies to kind of hide that. But, you know, I, I think risk is just something associated with anything that you buy at that point. And, you know, it should be, you know, up to those companies to maintain the security of the people that purchase their objects and their, uh, you know, utility vehicles, whatever you're buying. But at the end of the day... Why should it also be the responsibility of these corporations to go through all these checks and balances? Because there's always going to be an issue. There's always going to be a risk. Well, right? yeah, but there's not always going to be a risk of explosion while driving a vehicle. Like I'm that, not trying to defend Ford. No, no, no. But, fair enough. But I, and I know I could probably put you on that side if I wanted to. But 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 uh, but no, fair, fair enough. I, I, I don't think you would anyways, right? Yeah. I, I know you to, to be an empathetic person. So I think the the issue and why, why I was just mentioning that is because you can put a burden of regulation on them basically to offset the idea of of putting the shifting the burden to the public right yeah. once the public were dying that was really what it was it was the burden was shifted to them now yeah. they have to pay for their own funerals they have to do all of this and and is really is that what what's acceptable because what you're saying is we're willing to trade off profits in exchange for uh, profits for a corporation so a faceless mm-hmm. name a nameless corporation in exchange for the the lives or at least just the the, the knowledge of safety relative mm-hmm. safety of the public and i think that's really the the crux of regulations and like the of the benefits of regulations Mm -hmm. and so i think the interesting thing was i think we so and you you touched on capitalism so i think that one of the interesting things is there's this guy named milton friedman milton friedman was a huge economist um in the 70s and 80s and he got um he had a lot of influence and he was actually asked point blank about the Ford case. Mm-hmm. Um, and his answer to it was really, really interesting because he basically threw it back on the person asking. And this person asking probably didn't have the best look to him. He had very much of came out of the seventies, uh, wake and bake kind of <laughs> daily look. Dude. But, yeah. yeah. Very much like, dude, what's up? <laughs> um, like straight up Spicoli, right? Yeah, Fast yeah, times yeah, loving it. Got it. But, uh, that's probably a reference that goes over the heads of most people listening. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, showing my age, but anyways, Milton Fried, Friedman was uh, was basically the most ranked capitalist ever, right? So um, he, when he was asked about this, he was like, "Well, what if what if the cost of of each life wasn't two hundred thousand, but it was two hundred million, mm-hmm. right? And what if it wasn't two hundred people a year, it was one, mm-hmm. right? Uh, do you still think that they should have put in the part, right? And that's where we get into the more intricate details of that conversation and regulatory power, yeah. because I think the 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 most interesting there's a clip of him on youtube answering about this directly so i love if people uh listening go and go and look that up it's only about 10 minute clip it's worthwhile just so you can see because one of the things that the guy asking the question and milton's a smart guy he he put this poor kid on to, uh, to task and really kind of leveled into him and said no you're you're not asking about ethics because you just asked an economic question and here's how yeah. i can show it right and basically that it worked but the problem was was he has one line, I think it's in like the middle of the eight or nine minute mark, near the end of the video anyways. And, um, and, he, and he mentions, he was like, what you're asking about is regulatory power and that's the job of the government and that's a good thing. We do need companies in there regulating and making sure. And I think one of the reasons we're even talking about taxes and why we're seeing a rebirth of, of libertarianism and, and, and this idea of socialism or in some, some circles communism is because 
business doesn't operate the way it was intended to. Business mm-hmm. was intended to operate for the consumer, not for the manufacturer, right? Mm-hmm. It was all about end consumer goods. And the the idea of taxation was 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 again just bringing it back to the common good. So the reason why I bring up the Milton Freeman aspect is just because he, he he's one of the reasons why businesses outsourced to the point they did they stopped caring about ethics so i think that when we're talking about taxation in the realm of like corporate world and uh an income tax in that sense mm-hmm. he's if you look back pre-70s the corporations disproportionately contributed to to the tax base mm-hmm. and that was really when people are saying you know they're megas in 2015 that was what they were talking about they were talking about 50s and 60s yeah and for everybody on the left who was bringing up racial tensions in those times and how or horrible a lot of that was, uh, economically, it was indisputably better for uh, the majority. Granted, a lot of minorities were left out in the cold, but I think that what we saw was a massive boom, right? And and then and that led to basically relative peace in the world in the eighties and nineties because we we had set everything up, but. Well, I think we went from peacemaking to peacekeeping in that time. You yeah. know, and it, like you can still argue there was some conflicts in the 80s and, oh, yeah. you know, they definitely weren't, you know, for the, the greater good of society. It was strictly, oh, you have resources we want. Yep. But, you know, like this is, I guess, to kind of bring it back to taxes, in your opinion, would you think we should be taxed more as individuals or less? As individuals, less. Mm-hmm. I think that the individual like bearing it by the individual is really the issue because now we see corporate welfare or corporate welfare on a level and scale that should make most capitalists feel shame. Well, but you also look at the other hand too, the the less we tax these big corporations and the more kind of free, um, uh, you know, freedoms we give them from regulations, you know, the, the idea is the whole trickle down effect, right? They're going to have more money to invest into, you know, more programs, more platforms, more, uh, resources or, you know, whatever that's they produce. never happened. Yeah. That, unfortunately, you know, like that's how it's supposed to work, but yeah. I've, I've, like, I, I disagree. I, I, I don't think that, you know, I, I think trickle down economics is absolutely, a, you know, a possibility and it is part of society. You know, the, the, the more wealth you have in one area, you know, be it with one person or 20, you know, if that person lives there and he's creating jobs, he's creating a market where people are going to consume. But that's a lot know? of presumptions, right? Like, because all we have to do is go to the next generation of that wealth and they're not creating jobs, they're not creating opportunity, and now they've bought the, the supplier of the wealthy goods that they wanted or the well, luxury yeah, goods they wanted. Case, it's just, it, to some so, extent, right? Yeah, and, you can, and in both sides, it, it's, a, it's a what if. Yeah, you know, and there's case by case examples that show positivity and negativity for both sides of each argument. So, Right, but, but but trickle down. I'll, I'll grant there is an incredibly small realm in which trickle down could work if you're only playing the short term game, which means that corporations mm. being granted personhood die just like fucking people. Mm. Because the problem is, is that they don't. They get bigger. They amalgamate others. If I could just eat an individual and then gain their capital without actually having to do their job, <laughs> yeah, I mean that it, would be a different world that we'd be living in. And the problem is, is that. They've been given more rights than the individual. And unfortunately, what the response has to be, and it's only because of the situation we're in, the 
our response has to have our government, which is the only body we have that has to look after our best interests, mm-hmm. go after it. Because business doesn't have that requirement. Well, no. Right. And I, nor, nor should they. They shouldn't have us as their best interest. But the consumer was the end goal again. So we yeah. have to we, like all I mean, modern in a, in a perfectly capital society. You know, obviously, it would be the consumer's choice who they'd want to support. Right? And then obviously companies that wouldn't, you know, be socially acceptable or, you know, socially minded as you want, you just wouldn't support them and they go out of business, right? Because it, you're either going to take your profits and share them among your, you know, top executives and hope triple down economics works, which, you know, in my opinion, it would, you know, the, you get these rich people that would now have the ability to make more plants, make more, you know. Uh, are they going to? That's the thing. That's the thing. You don't know they are. Well, and that's, right? but that's why that that's where what what really influences people's desire to tax them is that there are certain things that are now just needed from an infra- infrastructural standpoint exactly in order it. to com- compete, right? Or ju- or just even just to live. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know what what Bezos is going to do, but we have a fucking pretty good idea that it's not going to be largely beneficial. Well, I'd argue the converse, you know, like uh, just going up north, for example, you know, Amazon's taken over there because it's about production. It's about the ability for them to do a certain task cheaper than the competition, better than the competition. They're very good at that. And exactly like they've got shipping down to an art where now rather than flying things and paying by weight, which, you know, you you basically if you lived up north, um, you had to drink reduced milk. Or evaporated milk. And, you know, now with uh, just the amount of transport uh, and the, uh, you know, the investment that he's made in making that efficient, you can get, you know, more, uh, you know, luxury items. And, you know, that's really all capitalism is. It's it's how how can I make this more efficient? And, you know, to, to argue what you said about... Um, uh, you, you know, these these generational wealth and this generational uh, companies that, you know, eat up more and more of the market. Well, that's what you want, because obviously they're doing it more efficient and better than their competition. What happens when you get a government that now says, OK, we're going to not tax these people and, you know, they start getting involved and invested in their business interests. That's where capitalism dies. And that's where you get a society that isn't free and isn't, uh, you know, capitalistly um, structured. You know, you, you'll have issues because, oh, well, the government wants to work with these people. They're going to give them bailouts. They're going to give them these laws that protect them. Uh, and essentially, it, it kills uh, the free market and the free aspect of a capitalist society. I would argue that that's the inevitable end game of the, the trickle down capitalistic setup, because mm. what happens is, like you said, everybody's going to get bigger, right? Because, and, and, and I'll grant the logic that that's because they were better. I don't necessarily think so, think that's the case. I think you can look at like Air Canada as a great example, right? Mm-hmm. Air Canada was not better at anything. No, but what they, they were, were was the predatory. Government. Well, no, in the late '90s, we had Canada 3000. Canada 3000 uh, followed the the Adam Smith approach to capitalism, which was let's benefit the end consumer. So mm-hmm. what they did was they spent a shit ton of money investing in more legroom, better TVs, and all of this quality Sounds in their like airplane. Great idea. Yeah. What happened was, was their books got caught, right? Mm-hmm. So they, so they, uh, Air Canada got wind that they were hurting in the books. So what Air Canada did was they reduced the cost of their flights on such a predatory scale that it was almost 80 bucks to fly anywhere. Mm-hmm. And they just... Made it so that Canada 3000 couldn't pay their bills. Well, and then when they went under, shit. they bought all of Canada 3000's planes yeah. 
then turfed all of the interior and brought it back to the horse shit setup Holy that they had. Well, with but, the exception of the a thing. few of those planes, they actually yeah. made it as their luxury version. Yeah, but here's yeah. the thing. They were a monopoly because of it, mm-hmm. right? Un- unregulated. Now, here's the, here's the end, end game of that, right? Is when you have a company that gets so big, mm-hmm. right? And there's only one. What you said was that the consumer would love choice. The problem is, is once they get to that size, they ha- no longer have a choice. So the government now, when this company is now financially in turmoil, like in 2008, where yeah. we saw everybody going out, the government has the option. We let our entire capitalistic infrastructure collapse or yes. we give them money. I know. No. And I know. And that's the problem. <laughs> the, the letting it all collapse is unattractive for people. But it's the poison you need to take. 100%. In order for the system to continue. Fuck, and, we agree you know, too soon. It, it, but yeah, it's, it, <laughs> like, and look at Margaret Thatcherism. You yeah. know, that, that whole ideology, when she came into power, she needed to raise taxes. Yeah. Even as uh, conservative as she was, she said, hey, we're in a deficit here. Uh, this is what we got to do. We got to take this medicine. It's going to make us sick at first, but then it's going to better society. Now, obviously, I want to go away from more taxes. I think that if you want taxes, it needs to be fair for all individuals to pay the same amount uh, and be under the same regulations. But like we're talking about here, there's obviously advantages of, you know, getting into business. And we're, we're kind of discussing the disadvantages of when government gets involved in capitalism, it ultimately fails. Because like, if, for example, it was a truly capitalist society, GM wouldn't have got its bailouts, the banks wouldn't have got their bailouts. And sure, there would have been probably, in my estimate, probably two years of absolute turmoil. But here's the thing, in a properly capitalist society, other companies would have moved in almost immediately and that's, said, okay, true, you yeah. have people with other types of wealth from other industries that would have said, okay, this is an industry that is hurting right now. And, you know, the smart businessmen, anytime there's a downturn in an economy, they're going to invest because it costs less. And when the government gets involved and says, well, we're going to lose all these jobs. Oh. Well, yeah, they, these are jobs that are, you know, it's not like a doctor or a lawyer where, you know, there can never really be an amount where, we have too many of these. It's supply and demand. You know, people can't afford to do it. People can't afford to get into it or people just don't want to. You know, we're dealing with more, you know, transient work where it's like you don't really need skills to work in this industry. And then, you know, obviously the pilots are still going to have their pilot's license. They're not going to go anywhere. And then you're going to have another business that's going to come in and say, okay, well, there's still a demand for flights. So then there's still planes. All the planes don't just disappear when these companies, you know, go tits up. You know, it's more like, okay, we still have all this. We just got to find out how to make money with it. We got to figure out how to make the production more efficient. Yeah. And like I said, when we get government involved, either with more taxes or bailouts or less taxes on these people and more taxes on these people, that's when it all gets fucked up in my, by by me looking at it. You put that very, very well, actually, that, uh. That's a really good point. I do. I do agree to that, that letting them fail would be the ultimate benefit at the end, at the end, for sure. I don't think so. I think that we have to go back 25 years prior to that in order to really see why that, that wasn't the optimal choice for the United States in the, in the instance we're talking about, because, because the, the reason why was, and you're saying they're relatively low skilled, I get it, but the infrastructure was no longer there. We were no longer creating, we weren't manufacturing vehicles to the same extent in in North America in 2008 that we were in the 80s, right? Sure. And and here's, here's really the crux of the issue is that it wasn't 
pure capitalism that we were actually espousing. It was a perverted form that was that was largely influenced by Milton Friedman, which was go after profit. So what we'll yeah. see is so I'm going to bring it back a century to or, or more than a century to Adam Smith, because Adam Smith is the father of modern day capitalism with the wealth of nations. And yeah. basically what what he espoused was that the most beneficial society is one that specializes. Right. So sure. if if micro societies all specialize in a specific thing, um, whether that be, you know, bamboo, because you have a lot of bamboo close to you yeah. or, you know, like just just look at Alberta specializes in oil. B.C. specializes in forestry. Right. And like and, really and, good wine. And, yeah. And really weed. good wine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I mean, but, but just taken as like a very yeah. basic one, yeah, right? Saskatchewan specializes in wheat. So what we have is we have these specializations, and then what you do is you trade um, with with other people of uh, that or, or other groups or organizations mm-hmm. or other countries that also specialize in something opposite but need something. So basically, there's a needs based industry that's mm-hmm. created at the foundation and is all going towards the consumer. And what happens is is when all the needs are taken care of, you then have the the opening for luxuries, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really what we saw as the massive benefit from capitalism, and now. Um, communism from Karl Marx's standpoint, I'll argue was not anywhere near what we saw through Stalin or Pol Pot or Mao. Um, I'm going to argue that bearded socialists are significantly better than mustachioed ones, uh, through history. If you were a communist with a mustache, you were probably also a murderer. Um, well, I think communism, like if you want to touch on that, I mean, even Karl Marx's, uh, Das Capital or, uh, the das communist manifesto, uh, the communist manifesto or manifesto, whatever, manifesto yeah. however you want to pronounce it. Um, he basically wrote, in order for this society to come into terms, you need to eliminate part of society, right? And, you know, that can be interpreted yeah, in a lot of, of ways. So there are ways of perverting it. There's no there's no question. What it's, I was saying was yeah. what he was saying was so his main critique. And mm-hmm. so I don't think his plan was really the best, but his main critique of capitalism that had been operating for a little while was was basically this results in the mm-hmm. in the poor not being sought after because they don't engage in the economic system to mm-hmm. the same degree as other people. So yeah. basically, kind of like we, we were but talking that's about. wrong, because under a capitalist society, everyone would have the opportunity, right? Oh, but, 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 that, he, but that's that, st- presuming that we all start at the same scale, exactly. and we just simply don't. The, the, the issue was, is when Marx was uh, you know writing his books, it was really under the Industrial Revolutions uh, in England and in Europe, where you had these... You you know, generational wealth uh, come in with just tremendous amounts of money and basically build these factories. Uh, it, it went from, you know, a resource goods uh, society to a resource goods capital society where, you know, your production really, that's all that matters. And, you know, frankly, as far as purity of capitalism, that, yeah, yeah, that's that. But you but, know, what's funny is they had all this wealth and you mm-hmm. say, like just the sentence, they built up these factories. They didn't. They took child laborers and forced them to work for fucking pennies on the dial yeah. dollar despite having all this wealth and in fact used that wealth mm-hmm. to force them into that situation. And that's exactly it. And the, the issue you run into there is even if the workers revolt and say i don't want to work if it's on an individual basis you say fuck you there's a guy right there he'll take your job right now and even if there's a group of 20 people they could even say well i'm I'm rich enough i can shut this factory down let you guys starve and then when you want to come back to work We'll come back to work. And obviously, that's not the ideal of capitalism. Well, that was the birth of unions, right? Because those 20 people went, well, if we all band together, we can Mm -hmm. fuck up everything in your entire system. That's exactly Because now you don't have the alternative, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's why there's a lot of uh, 
old school on the right people who are still hugely in favor of unions, which has actually largely been, you know, now you've got that division on the right mm-hmm. there but between freedoms and unions yeah. base, right? And that's a lot of labor protections that come through there. But basically, why why Adam Smith and Milton Friedman are two of the most important figures is because when you go into the, the, the 80s and you've got this profit over everything, what mm-hmm. we see is businesses no longer looking to specialize um, in in regards to the product. They're not trying yeah. to R&D. What they're trying to do now is reduce costs. So what they mm-hmm. did was seek out countries that had no labor protection. That's true. So it didn't create more jobs. Mm. It didn't create better specialization. It didn't result in better products. The 90s had the worst housing, worst vehicles. It was like everything across the board, with the exception of Japanese cars. Japanese cars were fucking say, excellent. Yeah, 90s yeah, Honda yeah. Civics, baby. Oh, man. Oh. Acura lines, those old <laughs> RSXs, those are sexy as hell. Well, yeah, but that was but, that was a lot to do with the, uh, the embargoes they put on those countries, right? They had to make efficient vehicles that had power and had reliability right well they didn't though because the number one selling car through most of the 90s was honda civic and the honda accord and honda crushed everyone and one of the things japan was really known for and especially honda and toyota factories was Mm -hmm. the fact that they uh they preferenced quality over the the financial benefit at the outset so basically there, there was a story through, I think it was through Freakonomics, and they were talking about, uh, which is a, a wonderful book. Don't take it completely literally, but it's a good book. <laughs> but, uh, but there, there's a, it was talking about there, a factory from a, a former Ford factory had gone tits up, and basically Toyota had bought the factory, and they were yeah. moving on in. And so one of the rules was that they were going to try and rehire as many of the previous factory workers. And for whatever reason, when they first started up, they were like, "Holy shit, this is so ridiculous! We're getting so many problems because." nobody would admit their mistakes throughout the line because they knew that every time you pressed a button that stopped production, they were costing like something like 30 G's every 10 minutes. Right. Yeah. And Toyota said, press the fucking button. We don't want to have to pull that door apart at the end and reinstall a handle and make it look all shitty. We want a long-term quality product. That's exactly which it. is the opposite of how North American capitalism was built. Right. Capital. Well, like, but, but, but that the, to, on the other hand, you look at that and you say, well, that's capitalism working because you had a market that made shitty products openly. You, you, we all, we all agree. You <laughs> yeah. don't want to buy a North American car okay, from the seventies okay. yeah, yeah, or the nineties, yeah. but that, that ultimately brought in the other markets and they took over. And then the other, you know, uh, manufacturers had to look at it and say, why are these guys raping us? And then they said, okay, well, we need to adjust how we either deal with society through the common good of our profits or make our product better to a point where we're going to get that market share. Or we could have shifted our culture towards more of a collectivist approach because Japan's approach was about looking at the benefits of the long term. We're making a better product. This person's going to be in this car for 10 to 15 years. If everybody bought a Honda and through the 80s, uh, 80s, 90s and early 2000s prior to their fucking transmission shit show uh, they, they, they they would likely yeah. still have those cars on the road well yeah i mean and and, and i think that the long-term benefit for their pocketbooks for let's talk, i mean you can talk about the environmental aspects of all of that which we you know we're yeah. largely blinded but, but to realistically all, all you're really saying is yes capitalism works i mean that's that's what i'm hearing is yeah. I'm, I'm hearing like yeah, there was a deficient, a deficient part of the market here in the auto industry, and uh, you know the uh, the imports came in, and you know this is this is again where governments kind of overstep, and they say, oh well, 
our jobs are getting fucked here. Uh, we need to get tariffs. We need to tax these. And I just want to tie this back into tax. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, at the end of the day, yeah, the Japanese market was slaughtering uh, yeah. the North American market uh, based on, you know, cost, uh, based on efficiency of the engines, uh, based on, you know, the reliability of the vehicle, what they were doing with I their profits. I wonder if anyone got like a check when they bought like a Japanese vehicle because they were so efficient or something. No, did, well, did, no. Did, did the government uh, kind of like a thousand dollar check? But, but like here's the thing, like, like, uh, I, I find with the import market, because they're under such scrutiny coming into the North American market, they have to do things that look after the consumer. Like, for example, when Kia had their issues with the engines, I think this was back in 2012 to 2014. I could be wrong on that. Uh, basically, two liters catching fire? Yeah, yeah. essentially, uh, there was engine filings. Uh, how it works is you get a cast iron block, and then they drill uh, your pistons into it. And what they found is there was filings left over in these pistons that would, uh, you know, obviously fuck the engine and, you know, either it would explode or, you know, you have pistons going. But what Kia did, uh, rather than saying, oh, well, you bought the vehicle, you've had it, you've driven it, you know, uh, like the, the Ford method, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. We'll get sued. We have the money for that. They said, no, we're going to recall all these engines. We're going to give people a check and then they're going to have lifetime oil changes on those vehicles. Sorry for fucking up. Yeah, not bad. That's great. You know, and I think when when you look at that in a capitalist way, you say, okay, you had a company that looked after the common good of its consumers, but that unfortunately is regulation, rare, right? But I know, I I think what you're taught, what what you want is an ideal in which. It's just rare because the government backs all these businesses and they don't have to look after the people, in my opinion. You look at it and you say, okay, well, if we had a market where, you know, it was free reign, you'd obviously, if you were a consumer, want to go and purchase a vehicle from a manufacturer that's going to care more about you. You know, and on paper, you don't want the government to kind of step in and say, well, our North American jobs are getting ransacked by all these companies coming in. Well, why are they? That should be the question. But they don't ever care. because you. But, but here's the thing. You don't want government in business. So, no. why, so why would they even look into that? The, what they're going to look is, it, is they're going to see the decreased productivity, the decreased sales from the North American market, yeah. right? And they're going to get duties for all of those cars coming in, for mm -hmm. sure, right? But that's not going to equate to the same amount that they would get off the income tax from the worker, the, the taxation from the factory itself, the, the well, taxation from all the, the I, consumption I, well, along that, that entire chain, right? I guess what I'm saying is, rather than doing a bailout and letting this failure continue, let it fail. Yeah. You know, to tie it back into that, you know, well, obviously, you know, the import market seems to have more of a care for the consumer, more of a quality control or, you know, whatever you discussed. We need to allow that to be prevalent in business and be yeah. a decision that's being made in these, uh, you know, ivory towers where you have all these shareholders sitting around. Hey, guys, rather than making millions in profit this year and putting it in our pockets, we're, we're making less and less year over year because... You know, the import market's bringing in a better product yeah. and they care more about the consumer, right? But when we have this government involvement in business that basically says, oh, we're too big to fail, we're going to get a bailout regardless. Well, okay. That well, goes we, away. Well, let's look at a couple of things, though, that go into that, that process. So, again, I think I'll use Canada for this instance just because 
it's kind of a unique one, but government is already inextricably involved, right? And part of that is because the steel and the fuel that we need Mm -hmm. in order to manufacture these things require some level of government involvement, right? Mm -hmm. Whether that be licensing in order to drill in certain areas or licensing in order to to pull things out of the ground, like in terms of steel and then going through the manufacturing process, there is no way of separating government from that process. So what you have is governments involved in steel and fuel, regardless of whether or not they're manufacturing vehicles, regardless of the import aspect of it all. Mm -hmm. But now they've got a set up infrastructure that they're already paying for on a regular basis. And to allow that to fail so magnificently is something that I don't know that because the public doesn't have full control over the marketing that that we wouldn't be able to actually get that message across in the clearest sense i don't know that you would actually be able to convince the public that letting everything fail is beneficial because well but here's the thing i mean why is it that everybody like either you open a business privately or you're in education or you're one of those career students they always tell you failure is part of life it's part of the learning experience you know like if you have you know a habit you can either let that habit control you or you can you know pick yourself up by the bootstraps get the help you need society you know we we have lots of help for you know those kind of issues too but why is it that when businesses fail the government can then come in and say, oh, here's here's money. Keep going. Yeah. And and to be honest, again, I think we, we agreed very quickly yeah. on an oddly anarchistic style. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Like it, it, but I do agree that the teardown is easier. Right. I find mm-hmm. that I think you can just think of it as a tattoo. If someone fucks up a line in a tattoo, it would be nicer. It would be easier to start on a new arm yeah. than it would be to try and turn that fucking line into something pretty. Good point. Right. And yeah. I think that because we're kind of at a point of, of per- permanent fuck up, like the, the, the design we have going on this tattoo is so ugly and yeah. so, so far from being any kind of certain picture, but the time it would be easier the... to start it over again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but to tie this into politics, you know, like last uh, last week we were kind of discussing, uh, you know, the, the the tyranny of the majority under a two party system down in the states, and we we really just briefly touched on this. And you know, if we're talking about taxes, I think this is something I really want to bring up with Trump uh, basically dividing the right down in the states. Uh, between, you know, the Mitt, Mitt Romneys of, you know, America, who are your more historical Republican, you know, family values. Uh, you know, also, he does have quite a few left-leaning, you know, yeah. beliefs, which, you Universal know, he's entitled to and everything else. Exactly, right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, why is it that we, we, we especially down in the States, we, we kind of central ourselves, centralize ourselves, because we only have two people to vote on. That's why I'm saying, when I brought it up last week, I'd like to see America make more of a shift towards a multi-party system yep. where, you know, Bernie Sanders could have a voice in uh, their house. Uh, you know, uh, you could have a little bit more of a right-leaning uh, expression as well. And, you know, obviously, you're never really going to have a majority government. Uh, I would argue that, that basically almost almost everything in the United States government, in, in the context of Canadian politics, at least, is right-leaning. It's, it's extraordinarily right-leaning to the sense that mm-hmm. oh, you get Democrats Democrats like Obama backing off of universal health care yeah. because he wants to capitulate to the right, which statistically are a smaller minority. But because of gerrymandering, like we talked about last year, uh, last week, mm-hmm. the 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 right or the, the conservative 
or the whatever you want to refer to them to uh, to them as uh, have a bolstered voice because they are numerically a smaller amount of people yeah right and they also contribute drastically less to the gdp but they have a massive voice and i wouldn't i wouldn't say the right contributes less to the gdp what do you mean by that well, you can look at like your your uh, overall benefits coming started like out of blue states, for example. So, okay. Cal- California and New York are going to contribute significantly more capital than would Delaware or, uh, I mean, a- almost any of the Rust Belt. Now, if you go back twenty, thirty years, it's complete opposite, right? Mm-hmm. It was a manufacturing hub, so it was actually a complete opposite. But yeah. now, the United States shifted to basically away from labor markets and towards intellectual markets and then that kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning which was like the vancouver toronto comparisons Mm -hmm. where if you have access to ports but not necessarily natural resources to exploit you're going to go more in terms of the intellectual side of things Mm -hmm. right and that kind of creates an issue of its own you know the the value of your society goes from being a tangible asset to an intangible hundred percent thought yep you know, and uh, I, I think that's that's part of the big problem California is running into, uh, especially now because of their taxes. You have all these companies that start in California, like Tesla, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, Fortune 500 uh, technology companies as well. Uh, they start in California because, Silicon you know, Valley. exactly. Yeah. It's the hub of that. But it's, it's because there's infrastructure there. Exactly. But, right? then, but that's, that's the most socialist handle for a capitalist company yeah. is to go, hey, I want to go to where the cheap infrastructure is already set up. Yeah. That's a, that's a, it's only set up there because of their high taxes. So again, like the, these companies are starting funny. up and fucking off yeah. because they all go to Delaware. Where they it's all a, go to it, Texas. Well, Texas yeah. is one of them. But yeah. Del- Delaware is another one where you see uh, like global organizations mm-hmm. arranged in this like 80 mile long state mm-hmm. because they have no tax base. And so uh-huh. it, it, they, it's just a tax a dodge right the entire time. But it, but like you said, they don't start there. They don't start there because no. there's no fucking I- infrastructure. And there's no infrastructure because there's no tax base. Yeah. So it's an infinite loop. Since we're discussing taxes, I guess the like if we kind of get on this and say, well, look, obviously there's good infrastructure for setting up a business in a more high tax group of people because you don't have to you know pay out of pocket for things that the government will provide. But as soon as you get that... Uh, you know, edge over your competition, you want to move that immediately to a place where it's less taxes. And I think Elon Musk is the best example of this. Started his business in California, created all these jobs. California would love to keep him as a billionaire. He obviously contributes, you know, uh, I don't think his fair share of taxes, but at least enough for it to matter. And now because, uh, you know, Texas has such a, you know, laissez-faire approach to running business, uh, he, with those roots he set up in California, he's able to move to Texas and, uh, you know, obviously make more profits. I think he's probably the only example that you can find through history that moved mm-hmm. him to another state and still benefited the same country. Because mm-hmm. almost every single industry that started off with a socialized base and infrastructure fucked off to China or India. True. Right. True. And that's the problem. That's yeah. really the problem, because the reason our our personal taxes go up is because industry is allowed to fuck off to these these low tax countries. Mm-hmm. It's within your own country. There, That's 
that's a kind of a United States federalism issue, right? Because in, in the United States, their states are more empowered than their federal government in a lot of respects. True. So that's why yeah. there's also a lot of argument about jurisdiction when it comes to policing and, and enforcement in yeah. a lot of states. Yeah. And they, 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 they have lawyers who are like, well, we're going to fight this through this court but, or we're going to go I through a federal it was, court. It was those laws were innocently created. Uh, to kind of avoid a tyrannical government taking over all the states, they essentially created a uh, you know a, a fifty uh, fifty places that are going to agree to call themselves one country in a United States of America. But every state has the ability to uh, you know operate under its own belief system and values. It basically, it, 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 you come into a huge issue, like you were saying. It's basically a union. Exactly. Right? That was right? the whole purpose of it, was to unionize a force against the ideals of a royal family, which was what was, like, what they were born out of yeah. was this rejection against uh, ideological oppression, which was yeah. largely based through the royal system, mm-hmm. right? And so they were like, well, that's not a meritocracy, yeah. so fuck that. And the problem is, is what it's become is no longer a meritocracy. And I think we both agree on that, yeah. right? It's... It, like when we're talking about these giant corporations being Just, able to dodge, like, stuff. we're using five dollar words here. Yeah. Uh, what does meritocracy mean? So meritocracy means that you get something based off of your input into that something. So yeah. basically, you you contributed towards the the end result, right? You you in a sense can claim to have deserved it, and we can talk about. I have to bring it up just because I'm the defender of the left, which puts me in a unique position because I'm yeah. a white fucking male. And I'm I pretty much even oh, though there are like minorities that. who find themselves on the right, I tend to have to absorb absorb all of their arguments into my side yeah, yeah, yeah. and try to give credibility to that. So I think that one of the issues when when you explore the topic of a meritocracy is you have to talk about um, the privilege aspect of what it means when you say that you've earned something mm-hmm. um, because you can argue that there are a lot of people who have earned a lot of the wealth that they've gotten, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily discount the fact that they also got a lot of help along the way. Right. I think that for you and I, one of the things that we both know from sales is the power of referrals, right? Yes. Like there's, there's no greater power in the sales industry than, than referral power. And mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, maybe marketing, but when you're starting at like a just starting out, for example, and there's some sort of uh, imposition against you as a person for how you look, how you sound, what, what you what your cultural background might be, um, you're no longer starting at the same point. So what you deserve might be more than what you can actually get. And I mm-hmm. think that that has to be pointed out just as like one of the major pitfalls to the ideals of a meritocracy is just that we're not all put on equal level, right? We Mm -hmm. all do start with some sort of different footing, right? And I don't necessarily know how to overcome that. I think that there's ways that we can make it better, right? I think that universal education is something that the world over has has acknowledged as being good unless you're part of the book burning mobile having (laughs) having the idea of of access to education is good right it's it's largely beneficial it's why there's such a massive push to to remove intellectual property rights from educational materials online Mm -hmm. right because a lot of people are just pissed off with these you know legacy publishers that have been around for centuries that make billions off of off of uh just changing the wording in one chapter and then selling it for another 250 to people on the one thing that's criminally overpriced is when you go to university and you're buying your textbooks oh yeah you know like uh i did a year one year of engineering 
And uh, the the textbooks were really almost a quarter of the price of the entire two semesters. Yeah, I've never right? seen more expensive books. Ridiculous! Oh, you're, you're preaching to the Ridiculous. choir. I did nine years post secondary, oh, three God. of those in law. And so and here's <laughs> the thing: it's like was that at U of A? Or? Yeah, no, I, I did uh, my law my law program at TRU but, in Kamloops. But here's so. the other yeah. side of that. You know, anytime you have a uh, you know very legislated. Uh, you know, you need to pay this much in order to attain things that most people should have access to. You create a humongous black market. Yep. And I remember when I was in university, like half the kids in engineering, well, you know, we're all pretty technologically savvy. Uh, you know, rather than going and paying, you know, $400 for MATLAB or whatever the fuck we were using, we're just going to download it off Pirate Bay. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's it, 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 not that I did that, you know, uh, but no, of course you, not. You, yeah, of course not. But, you know, you, you look at the, uh, you, the the costs associated with just getting an education yeah. and then you compile that to, OK, well, on top of that education, you're going to need these resources in order to even, you know, compete in a, you know, in a job field after you get your education. You know, so it's like things like, uh, you know, Maple or uh, MATLAB or Wolfram Alpha, all these, uh, you know, uh, high level. Uh, mathematical computing systems or, uh, you know, uh, high level, uh, you know, programming, uh, you know, systems like you need to invest that money in order to use it. But it's just it's such a staple part of everything to do with what you're going to be doing after you graduate, Uh, you know, or even while you're going through, you need to buy the program in order to learn how to use it. Right. And it's just like pay tax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you got to pay tax on top of that, right? Yeah. And it's just like, okay, well, you go to honestly get an education, and then you keep getting sidelined by, oh, well, we need this book, you need this program, you need this, uh, um, you know, whatever it is. Like, even even if you go in as a chef, and that that all ties into tax too, because you can write all that off. But right? that's also a tax on the public again. That's not borne by industry. Like it, the reason, like if we bring it to that, why, like you were talking about with government, like why are we being uh, having our our asses kicked on imports? Uh, the the why that you need to learn that that specific technological uh, uh, framework is specifically because industry has adopted it at large, but they don't want to pay yeah. for your right to use it or yeah. access it. Yeah. They're like, we want you, and we want you to know how to do it. Now pay for it first. Yeah, right. And that's that's. I don't know that those industries, even in our ideal world where we're allowing industry to fail, I don't know that those industries fail because they are a gatekeeper to basically playing the game, mm-hmm. right? You can't even play the game if you haven't gone through school. So they're yeah. actually, they're they're the first stage of gates that you can't even get to. Well, anybody that says higher education isn't a business oh, yeah. is completely up their own ass. Who says that? You know, <laughs> anyone that works at the university, like Indira, the the the, the darling the- president of the U of A, who had, you know, uh, a million, multi-million dollar house built for her, a statue erected for her, uh, you know, all this other things they did for her. She was making more money as the uh, president of the U of A than the president of Harvard, than the president of, uh, you know... Uh, Bullshit. Uh, yep. Absolutely. Yeah. She was no making, yeah. uh, you know, and then you know, sure. In a capitalist society, fine. Pay the pay them however you want. You want to get that talent, but the thing is, in our country, uh, secondary education is subletted by the government. Yeah, right. So this is our tax dollars going to really fund what she wants personally. Oh, yeah. But what I'm you know? hearing is that you're saying the government was too permissive in that stance. Well, here's the thing. If it's my money going into it, I want to have, you know, clear voice as to where that money's going. Yeah. If it was the university's dollar that they raised their own through their own marketing, through their own, 
you know, uh, business, sure, do whatever the fuck if you, want. you want. To do, but though, yeah. if 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 I'm paying whatever taxes I'm paying, and a portion of that's going towards higher education, and then they can still get away with spending that money on things like that, you know, it, uh, it, that's that's again one another example of when business and government get together and horrible horrible things happen. You know, I mean, I think that that's not even necessarily just business. I think it's when. I think there's honestly what we're kind of coming down to is that because we're not going to be, we don't live in this ideal world. We can't, like, things aren't just going to be allowed to fail. So basically there's a middle ground of regulatory power. We are, I feel like individuals are overregulated and corporations are underregulated. And every time you deregulate corporate power, you're actually, what you're actually doing is removing the rights of the people because a lot of the regulations imposed on companies, you got to remember these, these were never like, it was a fucking carte blanche uh, following the industrial revolution, right? Like this, yeah. they were allowed to do whatever the fuck they wanted and unions formed as a response to that. Mm-hmm. So but we can't look at it through the lens of, you know, in normal business days, I would have a weekend. That's not the case, right? That was never how it was. It used to be a seven day a week kind of thing. You you would yeah. do your grind all fucking day, 12 hours a day. Hey, you'd and live you in, had no rights. You'd live in the same place that you worked. Usually it was, you know, if you were a tanner or, a, you know, a leather worker, you know, or a cobbler, you, you lived in the place you worked and well, that was your business. Well, if you go to England in the 1840s, yeah. right? Before, well, it was the cottage industry. Yeah. Well, yeah, not only that, but like downtown, downtown industrial England was shit running through the streets because mm-hmm. they didn't actually have a properly functioning sewage system. Well, they like, also so didn't you gotta understand the dangers of not having that, right? Well, like, I mean, the danger just of, like like from from the olfactory senses mm-hmm. alone. Would really should well, be yeah, evident, I mean, but, like, yeah. you should be able to say that's not that's not kosher. But the thing is, like that was a that that was a point in time where we invent we uh, we evolve more technology. Uh, forward before we evolve culturally, right? That's almost always the case, and though, right? Technology thing, right? goes Technology way faster, is a lot faster. And you know, there's there's a great video game Mass Effect that touches on this. And there's a species of alien in that, uh, you know, in that uh, in that video game sphere, uh, where essentially they evolve so quickly technologically because they were given this technology by another, you know, alien race that they really had no culture. Everything was just built, you know, in a completely utilitarian side, right? Yep. So. You, you know your comfort and your 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 wants and beliefs really didn't take a factor into how this society is going to work. And I think as humans, especially, we, we like that comfort and the ability to uh, have it with our technology. But you know, do we do this through regulation? I don't think so. I think that you know over time, uh, you know, a, a more capitalist system will you know more uh, you know pander towards the betterment of all because eventually someone's going to come in, uh, have the ability to do something cheaper, uh, take over. And then, you know, there's going to be that whole, okay, well, we got to go after profits. And then there's going to be that other company, like we're talking about the auto industry where it's like, no, we got to care about our consumer as well. And then you'll get that balance. Right. And it's only through failure that that's really going to happen. Right. And yeah. I think we're really agreeing on that. But, but I, again, we, I think we have to, if we want to actually come up with a tangible solution we have to realize that they're not gonna that that simply will not happen it will not allow that to fail because they're far too enjoined at the hip which i think then lends itself to the argument that regardless of what you want in an ideal world regulation is what we can do practically within the world we have yeah and like you can't uh bring feeling or or any of that kind of thing into it either because like touching on that um, just something thinking about like that's a scary moment for like any like 
the head of a business or a CEO and something's going under. And I can understand, like, you're going to use the system like you all well, have you know, doing, uh, like this whole time yeah, to fight yeah, for it, right? Yeah. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. So I totally get that. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. You but know we've, we've gotten to the point now where the people are bargaining chips, right? And yeah, we're, we're also exactly. bargaining chips for things that aren't even tangible. So, like, a lot of the time, like... There was a report saying that the the big six banks in Canada last week came out saying that they've uh, seen record profits in the first quarter of 21, a 14% up with CIVC leading the charge at 26%, yeah. right? Meanwhile, year? yeah, this year. Meanwhile, reports are also coming out saying that they're going to be increasing interest rates on mortgages and things of that nature. So mm-hmm. the the... The reality is, is that there is no world in which we're going to like the government's going to allow them to fail. And even if we tried to regulate them because of the way our legal system is set up as reactive, we're actually not going to be able to do it immediately. Yeah. It'll be it'll it'll likely be 10 to 15 years. If we filed today, it would be 10 to 15 years before we got a result. Yeah. Like that's how obscenely slow it is. So I don't know that it doesn't happen through regulation. But it's about how we regulate. I think yeah. the issue I have with both rights and regulations in Canada um, and largely in the Western world is that rights and regulations, because they're seen as an impingement on capitalism, they've been forced to be reactionary as opposed to proactive. Mm-hmm. And so, like a great example is... Well, I've never really heard of a proactive regulation. You know, if you, if you, if you, if you think about it, I mean, most, most laws are created because there was a shortfall, right? Like, it, it, I mean, obviously, like... If you, if you look at the first uh, nuclear power plant, obviously there was some regulations before that was built. Yep. At least I hope there was. Uh, but, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of funny that you bring that up because I think everybody understands that the only time laws are really created is an after-the-fact measure. Right? 100%. I think what I, mean, what I mean by a proactive regulation is one that's broad enough that it doesn't deal with just the specific case at hand. Mm-hmm. So, like, what, what you see with a lot of um, courts nowadays, because judges are really... I could I, this side note in law school, I was given an award by the people in my class as the most likely to say fuck you to a judge. And so on that note, <laughs> judges are largely pussies. Have and, you said fuck you to a judge? Like, uh, no, not no. an official one. No, oh. I've gotten in an argument with one, but never actually sworn at one. Um, well, there's, there's, there's plenty of time. Oh, left. I know. If I ever go to a traffic court, <laughs> yeah, just you wait. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, so, but, but I think that judges are largely uh afraid to stray yeah. from the norms right yeah. and i think that that's actually the, the 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 mainstay issue within large business in general or any of these dinosaur industries like law is that they were designed to not stray right mm-hmm. when you base all of your decisions on past decisions you're inevitably never going to be looking to the future you're living in the fucking past well, that's here's part the thing. of I the mean, system there was that scientific yeah. study done with uh, i think it was chimpanzees where they had uh, like a ladder in the middle of this uh, you know encampment where they had like you know 12 you know a dozen chimpanzees and then on top of this ladder suspended from the ceiling they had a bunch of bananas right and anytime a chimp so much as touched the ladder they got a, like a, a fire hose and they blasted all the chimps with this ice cold water and what happened was when they started introducing you know new chimps to that encampment obviously they when they went in and they saw these bananas and they're like let's go get these fucking bananas right if they even so much as went towards the ladder 
all the other chimps would beat the shit out of them under really? fear of being, you know, hosed with ice cold water. And uh-huh. this is kind of the 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 the, the uh, tyranny we create when we create these really, um, you know, dinosaur systems that you you brought up. Right? It's it's almost that fear of the work you have to put in and the fear of that failure. Uh, you know, that's that's going to stop uh, society from moving forward. And you can see that, you know, with the Jim Crow laws down in the states. You can see that with the tax laws that we create on a daily basis here in Canada and the States. It's almost out of a fear of, well, this is the system we have set up and we can't let that fail, you know, and it's kind of funny we're tying this into law too, because we see it in industry where, you know, when we have an involvement of government saying, oh, we can't let this fail. Oh, no, we'll lose all these jobs. When, in fact, you know, over time, those jobs would be protected. You know, if you have a skill set, it would be protected. If we allowed business to fail, it would allow more people to come in and, you know, create, uh, you know, more diverse business. I'd say it would be the same thing with law. If we allowed that, you know, dinosaur law approach to say, okay, well, rather than taking 12 years to settle an issue that's just common sense at this point. Yeah. Well, you know. that, but that, that's the kind of that gatekeeper before you get to the gate I, uh, analogy I, I used earlier, though, with the issue with law. So let I'll, I'll use an example of technology because we talked about how technology advances things before things can respond. Yeah. Right. Law is the only industry that I know of um, outside of tech, like like technological development directly. But it's the only industry I know of that can actually preempt and block that from happening because mm-hmm. You literally have to go through a lawyer in in order to file patents on your protected material. So this has happened countless times. There have been significant number of programs that have been designed, apps for phones and all of that, that can help you navigate through the legal system. You have a legal question and it'll ask you enough prompts because law students are are uniquely interested in this. I had classmates that were designing these things. But what happens is you, uh, unless you come from a, a background of wealth and are willing to put it all into this and then basically socialize your system because you're you're going to be fighting a ton of enemies what happens is you go into a patent office and you go hey i want to file this and what you normally get is an offer to pay off your student loans in exchange for your patent right and Mm. this uh or or something along those lines because most of the people who are designing these things are not doing them with investment because the people who would invest in it a don't know about it it's largely the public who's ignorant to the benefit of the law mm-hmm. right the, the other people who know about it are the people who benefit directly from the status quo mm-hmm. which are the lawyers yeah so the problem is is that there's no marketing capability to go hey the public would really benefit from this they're like why would i want another fucking app right they you have no way of actually explaining the benefits long term or short term to yeah. them and you have lawyers stepping in and going yeah we agree with you let's buy this out right and basically turfing it before it happens so hmm. i think that there's a there's an interesting aspect there, but the other part, the the not allowing it to fail. I'm curious because because your position on the right uh, puts you in a unique situation here. I would argue very strongly that it would almost exclusively be not exclusively, but the large por- uh, portion, or the largest portion of the population that would be failing would be the right. Would be people who have right wing ideas because they typically come from a blue collar background in manufacturing, in industry, and those are all the industries that we're asking to fail. So we're also basically asking your brethren to to take a massive stick up the ass mm-hmm. because this is it's it would fuck them completely, right? Okay. And 
I think that's actually what we see when when we see the fear of that happening. What we see are gun sales skyrocketing. We're seeing bunkers going up because people are afraid that their their futures are going to be taken from them. So we see increases and spikes in theological adherence in in guns, anything that will protect you, any outside shield idea. Well, you know, and I think that uh, your own protection should be up to the individual as well. I mean, you know, you're never going to get me to agree that, you know, 911 is going to show up on time if there's no, a reactionary emergency, right? They, it's the yeah. same like, downfall look, look, as law. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I, I'm amazed that we haven't touched on this, but the uh, the, the whole um, storming of the uh, Capitol just recently, yep. you know, like uh, the, the, the fucking uh, Metro Police got an email from the FBI saying, hey, there's probably going to be a riot. I mean, they should have called them, yep. you know, but this is, this is what happens when you kind of put things to the public service. It's up to who... You know, it's up to who, who, right? Like, I'd rather it be up to me. Uh, but, you know, I, I, but there's I just, certain uh, things cops will never do. And one of those is vote Democrat. So the problem true. is, is when it's coming from a Republican side, you'll, you can go through and look at the video. There were cops taking selfies with those guys. Mm-hmm. So they were largely in support. No, of when it. They weren't getting killed. Yeah. Well, I guess. yeah. When they were, well, but that's the problem is, is that the, the, their, their allies, unless they're, unless they're doing their job. Yeah. Right. And but that but again, that was coming from people that would largely espouse the same views as you, maybe mm-hmm. not to the same degree. I don't think so. <laughs> no, no, economically. No. Yeah. So so yeah. economically. No, definitely not re- re- religiously, theologically well, in I relation think, to violence. I, I think things that of that the nature, only but, way you can really classify Trump following that uh, uh, that siege on the Capitol is, is as a dictator. Yeah. You know, uh, you look at it and you say this guy literally told a group of people you have to fight or what you believe in will disappear. Yeah. And then he said, we're going to march on the Capitol in a peaceful fashion. <laughs> and I'll be there with you. And I'm not going to be there with you. Uh, and yeah, exactly, right? Like, it's... Uh, when, when you see that, uh, like it, you're never going to get me to say that uh, Trump is anything to do with uh, a democratic society. No, no, no. But I think that but, that uh, fear, but, right? Why, I think that, yeah. that, but that... But that fear that we saw, what he touched on, what yes. he used, right? Like, what yes. we use as salespeople are pressure points. Right. Pain points. What he did was that he took that fear that you're about to fail. You're about to lose what you had because jobs are not going to be the way that they used to be. Oil is going away. And yeah, there's always going to be a certain sphere of utility for it, but Mm -hmm. it is shrinking Mm -hmm. and you do not get to grasp it anymore. And he touched on all those pain points and he got the sale. Yeah. Right. And well, I think I think if you if you're in that position of power, uh, whatever you say is going to have a following. You know, yep. regardless of how fringe it is, you know, once you're the president of the United States, there's going to be a group of people that agree with everything you say. Uh, and it's really, again, it ties into kind of the uh, the shortfalls of a democracy. Once you sign something and say, I agree with this person, you know, you almost get that group of people that will agree with them regardless after that. But that's point. not what they're signing on for. Exactly. And that's been completely that's lost. Right. Yeah. I think that one of the funniest things is when, when you hear a Trump uh, supporter talk is they, they go, where are the Biden supporters? We never see these Biden. That's because there aren't Biden supporters. There are supporters of democracy mm-hmm. who elected Biden to protect their interests. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's probably, fucking yeah. job. Trump, Trump supporters are there because they are literally fangirls. Mm-hmm. These are people who are just really, really happy to go see their, their I, just, fat orange version of Taylor Swift. I'm right. Like, amazed. and this is, that, uh, you know, in such a democratic free society, it was almost 
so easy for someone to set up a, a borderline oh, dictatorship. I would argue, you know, to, to the outset that they are not, they are neither uh, uh, free nor are, are they, they much of, exactly. of a democracy. No, like, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. Trump just spoke, uh, I think, what was it, last night? Yeah, yeah, the, the uh, or, yeah or whatever exactly. It was. He had a golden get, statue of himself. Yeah, uh, how, how ridiculous <laughs> is that? How how dictator? Yeah, like, like is that? I I don't I don't see how anybody that supports a uh, a, a democratic society uh, where you know you have certain checks and balances of the executive branch, you have certain checks and balances of their powers. Um, can say, yeah, this guy, this guy should be our leader. But, let, but let's bring it back to taxes for a half yes, second, yes. because <laughs> what, one thing, one thing that was interesting is when we both agreed that things should fail, mm-hmm. that's, that's in response to basically creating the utopian side. And we were like, well, why don't we let them fail? Right. That was the question that you brought yeah. up. And I think that right now, the storming of the Capitol, look at the, look at the response, the fear response that can be manipulated. A hundred percent, it's mani- manipulated and uh, inflated to a sense that probably wouldn't have existed without marketing. But again, without, without proper regulations on marketing, you're never going to gain that. But, but the end argument still exists that the, the basically <laughs> there, there's no way for there to be an equilibrium in that sense. Mm-hmm. And when we start with, with, I lost where my train of thought was on that point, but, <sighs> but, but, but basically the, 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 the tax of all of this and, and how everybody is fighting against it, that's the government is supposed to be representative of the people. Right. Yeah. And so when you see this large portion of the population fighting, literally fighting, right. Mm-hmm. And, and buying up arms and trying to, that now there's way there's looting and all of this, when this is what's happening, the government's job is to create a response and the response is to quell the fear the fear can't be quelled by maintaining the status quo that we're going to actually realize their fears, that we're going mm-hmm. to let them fail. Yeah. So they have to prevent it. And I think that's where we come to that realization that we'll never actually reach a point where they'll let them fail. Yeah. Right? Because the, the greatest thing to have ever happened to, to Germany is being allowed to economically fail. Yeah. Right. Because now they are actually as close to a capitalist utopia as you can get. They have. And granted, there are a lot of pitfalls and insane. There's there's definitely pitfalls. But we're talking like when when we talk about the ideals in the Western world of like, you know, a zero percent unemployment rate, uh, a near zero percent homelessness rate and socialized health care and jobs that you can go into at all times and like a very strong economy that can deal with the blowbacks of industry. Yeah. Uh, Germany is the epitome of this. But what happened was is yeah. they basically had to have their dollar destroyed by paying the bills of World War II. They had to be forced to fail. Yeah, I mean, and there's also another side of that that you're not addressing. The fact that Berlin was split in half. And, you know, East Berlin was run by the uh, the communists that wanted nothing to do with making Germany a successful place. It was more of a punishment to be German on that side of the wall. Now, you look at the other side where, you know, you had the immediate, uh, you know, birth of the Cold War and, you know, the, the, the creation of, uh, you know, as uh, Churchill called it, the Iron Curtain. You know, you had all these capitalist societies that, you know, they saw after the First World War 
World War, okay, when we punish these people like the Treaty of Versailles did, we're just going to piss off that group of people and we're going to have another conflict. So they invested a tremendous amount of wealth, uh, the Americans especially, in Western Germany, uh, just specifically to show, uh, hey, this is what communist society gets you. They're going to put up a wall to keep you in, whereas Western society, we have all the luxuries, we have all the, you know, Berlin in uh, the 80s before the fall of the wall was, you know, this, this, one of the biggest centers for, uh, you know, the, the techno movement, yep. uh, a huge center for the arts. Um, you know, there was a lot of culture that came out of that repression that we kind of brought up yep. uh, last week. But, uh, you know, I think it was really just that conflict of belief system that allowed Germany to become such a powerhouse. And after the wall fell in the nineties, uh, you know, they, they took Late over 80s, the other yeah. side. Well, yeah they, they, yeah, they took over the other side of Germany and, you know, you could see, you know, there were still buildings, uh, throughout, uh, Eastern Berlin that were shelled from the second world war. They just put tape around. They had no interest in, you know, helping the people because it was more of a, Oh, fuck you for being German. Well, you know, yeah, that's, well, and that was the Stalin esque approach yeah. to, 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 uh, communism, right? And that mm-hmm. was the problem was that basically the ideals coming out of Marx were that it was like the no child left behind ideals, right? Yeah. Which has actually just left more children behind uh, uh, since George, George Bush imposed it because... Ironically. So, yeah, but but that's but that's really what it comes down to. And funny enough, you're actually drinking the, the beverage that caused the fall of the wall, right? Which was coffee. Mm-hmm. And that was because, oh. yeah, in the, in, the, in the mid to late 80s, uh, East, East, uh, so coffee prices spiked like crazy globally. And um, East Germany couldn't afford to import it anymore. Didn't so they basically that. canceled coffee. So what they did was they pulled coffee off of all of the shelves and they created this middle ground that had coffee mixed with a whole bunch of weird little fillers. So it was 51% coffee, 49% fillers. Yeah. And the people were fucking furious. Oh, I bet. And so the first wave of people to actually go through the wall, because there was a break, breakovers and people were jumping over, yeah. was to go to their supermarket and steal coffee off the shelves and fucking donuts yeah, or, wow. or glazed buns or whatever. Let's well, say they this call is them, the issue. Last straw, right? Yeah, well, this but, is but the it, issue that when was you the have problem, a government it, determine what is good for society and what isn't well, i mean but that, but that was really what it was was that yeah. stalin went took the ideals which were don't well, the leave 80s, the bottom been, right uh, don't w- let people go but they basically did that by cutting all potential luxury all yeah. right yeah. it was it wasn't that it wasn't like some luxuries can thrive it was all luxuries go everybody yeah. gets the same and nobody wants that but yeah i mean but when, when, when we're talking about germany and uh you know how how they were able to really become a powerhouse of capitalism i i believe it was just because they had such a stark difference 100%. right through the middle of their city between you can get whatever you want, do whatever you want, the cocaine, the MDMA, the music, it's all here, right? And then literally, you know, five kilometers across the city, uh, across the, you know, the the, the dead wall. zone, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. you had a whole bunch of people that, you know, would literally go across the wall, risk their life to bring coffee back yep. to create a black market. Well, for, we have that today, you know, right? Like North Korea, exactly South it. Korea, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, and we've yeah. actually Absolutely. had it through fucking 70 years now. And the craziest that well, the I only ever reason read, why North Korea is a thing is because of China. Well, and, no, no, well, well okay. Yes. <laughs> t- today. Yeah. The only reason North Korea has existed as long as it has is basically because they don't have re- any resources for us to exploit. Cause otherwise it would have been a peacekeeping mission a long, long ago I, when yeah, the United yeah. States was riding that fucking golden <laughs> Eagle into yeah, war, right? Yeah. But the but but I think that the unique the most unique part about Germany and why it's such an important study is because there was this prove it requirement to mm-hmm. both sides, right? Yeah. And 
and granted, socialism lost or communism lost, yes. right? Co- well, communism lost to prove communism, but yeah, but yeah, but then capitalism had to prove that they weren't going to forget the little guys, which is mm-hmm. why Germany is so unique and in Japan. the sense that, and Japan's another one, yeah, right? Korea Japan well. was actually a very successful socialist nation mm-hmm. that then adopted more of the Western cat. So they actually did the opposite style. Yes. So, but, it, but, but because, there was no competition uh, from the, uh, from the Eastern Bloc. No, exactly. Right? So like Japan was like, there was no interest in Russia involving anything with Japan, mainly because uh, Eastern Russia, like uh, Vladivostok, uh, those, uh, they were very, protectorate they they yeah. almost didn't really agree with the communist movement and there's a really interesting case study on youtube it's that whole what if factor you know what if uh, alaska wasn't sold by uh, <laughs> to to america yeah and it was still owned by russia there's a big uh, belief that they wouldn't have become a communist country just because of the sheer distance between moscow and there and how close they are to a successful capitalist nation yeah. it, it probably oh, would have wow, been more yeah. of a protectorate uh, yeah. you know under um, you you know the uh, the Romanov belief of monarchy, which is which ties into Canada too. So, well, that you, same argument exactly. is used today for China, right? In terms yeah. of like uh, keeping their economy tied closely to West is actually a way of increasing the the the. Um, the benefits to mm-hmm. most of the Chinese people. Yeah. Because the Chinese people, like nobody suffers under Chinese rule more than Chinese people. Absolutely. Right. And I th- think that that's, that's really what, what's kind of interesting is we have modern days examples of all of these historical things, but what, what's really What's common with all of them is that there was a mirror held up directly to them saying fucking like this is the opposite. Mm -hmm. Prove it. Prove that you can do it. Right. And the problem with the United States is that they they took the marketing bend rather than the prove it bend. Right. And so you can there's two ways of of, well, there's more than two ways, but there's always going to be two ways of explaining yourself. You can explain uh, you you can you can explain a, a mistake you had away by explaining the process, how you were thinking, and why why it got away from you, or yeah. you can market around it. Yeah. So basically, you can talk around the mistake and and talk to about it as a benefit, right? Kind of like Kia can use they had like you said they had two options there, right? Mm-hmm. Or two avenues they could go through. They could either apologize and say, "Hey, we made a mistake, but we want to keep you as a customer. Yeah. We can go this route," or we can market around it. You know what? If you were maintaining at the Kia more often, we would have actually been able to catch us and it wouldn't have caught fire, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, as a result, you know, we're not going to give you anything. We'll, we'll give you kind of a token handout. Here's, yeah. uh, here's you know, 5% off your next car, whatever. Yeah, but it has to be a Kia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or a Hyundai. Yeah. Well, it's sister companies. Yeah. But, you, you know, I, I, we're talking about, uh, you know, Germany and uh, just uh, how, you know, we had such a stark difference between, you know... Um, a socialist society, a communist society, again, not a purely communist society. It was more of a dictatorship yeah. that could do whatever the fuck it wanted, uh, as opposed to more of a, a democratic free market. Um, you know, it, it, the way I look at it is they really didn't have a choice but to be successful on either side. Yeah. Right. And that's uh, that's what's allowed Germany uh, to uh, really grow in exponential fashion. You well, know, think- uh, but you also look at just the manufacturing side of things, which is a big part of capitalism uh, and, and say, OK, well, you had the Americans come in after everything was pretty much firebombed and destroyed by the English and we need to rebuild this to a way that people can actually live, maintain work and create something. So that's why uh, a lot of the auto manufacturers uh, following uh, the fifties, the Korean war, especially uh, when you had all these American businesses move there uh, under obviously humongous 
government influence. I, I imagine a lot of that was, you know, partly funded by government agencies saying, okay, well, we want you to go there and create business. So we keep these, you know, young men at that time, uh, yeah. you know, away from fighting and, you know, uprising, you know, give them money, give them, uh, you know, a sense of purpose and then, you know, have the luxuries there. And, uh, you know, I, it's, it's kind of funny cause, uh, on my dad's side, um, a lot of his family was still in East Germany, uh, during that whole, um, uh, during that whole time. And, uh, my father actually went to Eastern Germany, um, and visited, uh, and, you know, I, I, I'm sure somewhere over there, I have pictures of his visits, uh, you know, to, just to go visit his family. And, you know, you land in, uh, West Germany, Berlin, you see all these, you know, beautiful buildings that are brand new built and all these businesses and just, you know, the, the, the culture too. I mean, it's not a culture based of fear. Yeah. Uh, but you know, as soon as you go across that wall, uh, it, it turned into, okay, careful who you talk to, careful what you say. Yep. Uh, there's no coffee. Uh, the tobacco is, there's only one brand, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everybody's driving Lottas except for, Oh, you I know. had a Yugo. That was my favorite <laughs> car, man. Yeah. You know, those, uh, those Trabants and those Yugos, man, those, uh, total death traps. Oh yeah. Well, uh, there was but, a report uh, of a woman getting blown off a bridge in her Yugo. That, That's that how like happened. those things were. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> there was, uh, I don't mean to laugh he, at the he, death, he, but it's more than laughing I mean, at the car it, itself. It was more yeah. of a joke of, you know, when you get a lightweight vehicle, you get more maneuverability. When you get a heavy vehicle, you get less but somehow they found a way to make a lightweight vehicle with less maneuverability right it was it was kind of like usually you get at least one positive when you go this way no no nothing right but that's the thing i mean when you when when you're when you're taking away competition completely um and letting government say this is what you get then obviously i mean the same thing can happen with capitalism with workers i mean you're obviously going to take the path of least resistance to make the most amount of money but i think an interesting thing in tying mm-hmm. it to taxes if we're mm-hmm. using germany as like the epitome and end goal of capitalism their tax rate is near 50 percent well, right and and not only that, you've got Volkswagen contributes like one third of their GDP. And we also know that 10 years ago, they marketed around one of the fucking biggest global lies that we've ever seen, right? To try and play off of clean energy through oh, their diesel. The diesel gate. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's all, there's, there's interesting ones because basically the world couldn't punish them because the, the, they, they were too big to fail. They yeah. hold up the union. So as much as they are to a degree yeah. part of that epitome they are also an ex- a, a very poignant example of too big to fail and the worst parts of fucking capitalism well, yeah. and you know uh, i wasn't aware germany's tax rates were so high but you know you also look at just the wealthy uh, groups of people in germany comparing them to the re- wealthy groups of people in north america yeah. you know uh, there's a really good youtube documentary about uh, you know the ultra wealthy in germany and how they uh, how they're very secluded and secular they don't really interact with the public. They don't want their picture taken. They don't want to be, you know, giving speeches. Yeah, it's not celebrity status. Yeah, chased. exactly. And it seems like in North America, once you get a certain amount of wealth, it's almost expected yeah. that you're in the public sphere. And it's almost, uh, you know, like we were talking about that guy that knows Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, like yeah, Netflix yeah. tried buying his picture on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that's a very rare thing in my, you in know, Western in society, Western society, for society sure. because it's almost that it's almost from inception. 
yeah. you know, you want to come and be successful. That's the American dream. You grab, you, you, you pick yourself up by the bootstraps and, you know, become wealthy and become famous as a result of it. And I, I think just because Germany went through such an oppression with, uh, you know, the communist uh, Eastern Bloc, uh, it, it created a, a very unique, um, outs, uh, you know, over uh, overview of wealth. You don't want people knowing you're wealthy. Yep. You know, you don't want people knowing uh, this is the owner of you know this company, you know, and he's a multimillionaire billionaire. You know, yeah, billionaires yeah. in Germany, like, I can't name one off the top of my head. No. Uh, but, you know, uh, you, you look at American uh, billionaires, you know, Trump apparently is a billionaire. Definitely I, not. I don't think he is yeah. uh, based like on any report. And, and those but, guys. yeah, I mean, you, you know them, you but know. That, but I think that's that's kind of, a again, kind of a unique thing of the, the idolization of celebrity status because the only way that that becomes um part like built baked into the system is when you espouse ideals of trickle down because basically you like they they create this caricature of themselves in Mm -hmm. the public and they go don't you want to be like this guy if you do then you want to give him as much more free reign as possible yeah right because if you want to be him wouldn't you want the free reign well then everybody should have that free reign but that but But they don't but and and the problem is again is that that's all put to you when the when we're already we already have an established multi-billionaire so Mm -hmm. it's not like we're all starting in square one and it kind of gets back into that 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 joke I tossed your way uh, off air a couple weeks ago, but when we were talking about the idea of a hundred percent estate tax, right? Mm-hmm. And and I was like, that that would be one of the few ways in which I would be okay with almost almost ex- like completely removing the the personal income yeah. tax. Was you know, going through the only a- issue you're going to run into that is you know that that might work with. Uh, you know, a more intellectual property business where it's tangible assets, not really material uh, assets. Uh, when when you then uh, look at a cigar company, for example, and say, okay, when, you know, the let's say J.C. Newman dies, the company's done, everything, you know, profits, anything left over in coffers goes to the government, and then, you know, well, it's we're, highest bidder. we're left to... St- yeah, exactly, right? Uh, what that would stop is, you know, this generational wealth that, you know, you get a son that doesn't know a thing about business but inherits this huge company like donald trump and his kids uh but you know you also look at the other side of things too uh and say well with with 100 percent estate tax you'd also have no you know generational companies that are actually doing good you know well yeah i think that those general but but you presume within that that those generational companies wouldn't get bought by someone who can see that they can still make a profit right like yes. if, you, if that goes into let's say a an ebay ebay style auction but and somebody like uh like just generational monopolies potentially I mean, yeah that's the but, problem. but not yeah. necessarily because if they have to give like if we're talking loose capital so 100 percent estate tax would be taking everything like mm-hmm. everything but yeah but you got to imagine liquid assets will be sold off. Cash, cash goes into to co- right into public funds, and those will build up municipalities, well, yeah, I mean, roads, that, and things that, of that that's nature. That's when you know the person's going to die. Like, well, uh, like as- but but here's the thing: like, if, if I'm a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, yeah. and if it's 100 percent estate tax, and I get marked in a plane accident, you know, it's like there's no setup for that, right? And then you, you well, kinda- no, but then your your shares would be would be auctioned off for the public well being is mm-hmm. is basically what it is, right? Um, mm-hmm. It would, 
I mean, I haven't really thought it through com- completely because I kind of just put it to you more as yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. As a test joke against yeah, the libertarian. Just it was more good. just like, I never expected to have anybody agree with that. So I was more like, oh, okay, well, yeah, interesting. I, I agree to it to an extent. Yeah, yeah, uh, of course. Because, you know, like, what is what is uh, Biden's son going to really do for society? Yeah. That he's going to inherit tremendous amounts of wealth. And not just Biden's son. I, I don't want to get into that fucking oh, Hunter do laptop Paris Hilton, cocaine Nicole, problems. Nicole, oh, whatever, Richie, but like, you can go into all of us, right? You can go into absolutely everybody that but, uh, has I completely a- completely agree that you had these people that were industrialists production you know uh, heroes of capitalism and then there's really no incentive for that to continue generationally well and i think what you get with with the estate tax is you start to understand that the way you were treated was not for you. It was for the position you held. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important distinction yes. that we need, right? There was a, a secretary of state in the United States, and he gave a, a commencement address, and he did mm-hmm. it two years in a row to the same university. In the first year, he was a secretary of state. So he, uh, he, he in, the, in the second year, he, he starts his commencement address a little bit different. He goes, hey, this is my second year here. I'm no longer the secretary of state. Last year, I was flown here in a private uh, private jet, uh, I was driven immediately by my uh, uh, by, by a private driver right to my hotel. I was given the the nicest room in the hotel. I was called down. I was greeted with coffee and breakfast, and I was given a coffee mug and uh, and you know driven again privately and walked up onto stage. Oh, how nice! Yeah, and he said, "This year, I'm not the Secretary of State. This year, I took a taxi to the airport. I got on business class, mm-hmm. and I took a I landed. I took a taxi to my hotel where I mm-hmm. checked myself in." And then I took another taxi here this morning. When I asked someone for a cup of coffee, they uh, they pointed me to a machine in the corner where I grabbed my styrofoam cup and I came out up, up, up here. And he's like, the point I want to make is that that coffee mug was not for me. That was for the position I held. Yes. And I think then that's super unique. You don't actually get that with the upper levels. Uh, and that's honestly for me and I think for a lot of the left is that entitlement argument that you get. You get far too many people who are wealthy, whether they're left or right-leaning. I think that they largely tend to be right-leaning simply because they are against socialized taxation. Yeah. But but I think that what you get is um, a, a massive pushback, in, in, and it's just it's something that you can't get around, unfortunately. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, it's... I don't know. I, I don't know what the solution is, but I do think that that when you have this this kind of situation where the the right is largely pushing back against, well, I think a lot of it ties to just dinosaur opinions, and I hate how so many of those tie to the right. Yeah, you know, like uh, anti-abortion. But you know, it, well, it's, anti-abortion is it, the only reason that is tied to the right is the Catholic Church. That's it's exactly the, it's the it. only that's, reason. Yeah, that's and, exactly it. And, and, that, and that, quick, yeah. quick history note because I find this is something that I, I just based off of the side I have to take, but also just personally, I'm pretty passionate about. Prior to 1970, the Catholic Church's official stance was that birth began, uh, or inception, life began at breath. First breath. Yes. What they pivoted when they could no longer uh, hold down minorities. So basically, they've always been in opposition to a certain class of people in society. And so it wasn't until the 1970s that they started to pivot that. And unfortunately, part of that family value aspect that the right loves to hold dear, and I'm not saying that that's wrong, family value are great when we say that unfortunately most people on the right hear christian family values yeah. which are completely different right exactly. if you see yeah. if you see first nations like my 
my cousins are first nations they call their friends cousins if they're really close they call they call their best friends parents if they have a role in ra- raising them their aunties right yeah, like yeah i mean right? yeah. but that's but that's because they have a larger view uh, a, a more broad lens with which to view the idea of family right? yeah and so i think that what when you have the the a religious or theological guiding post, the, you're always going to be anchored in the past. Well, I think that we really can't nowadays. I, I you know, I, I, it's really amazing you brought up Milton Freeman, uh, you know, Adam Smith. But the one thing that you really haven't touched on is Ayn Rand. Yeah, uh, and you know, as far as a capitalist, as about as capitalist and libertarian as they come, but you know, not a very you know, historical family values, Republican capitalist. Uh, And, you know, I I think I find myself more of a, you know, Randist, even though she really wouldn't want to be objectivist is what she called it. Uh, And, you know, when you look at it, um, a lot of these, uh, you know, family beliefs tying into religion, you know, it's, you got to kind of hit that with the rationality. You know, and well, they've tried doing that for years, right? Like Jordan Peterson's ascension to to the 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 throne on the right Mm -hmm. was that guy. Well, you love him. (laughs) Interesting. So I've watched his debates live, and I think that the most fantastic thing was watching him debate with Sam Harris. Um, I actually went to that in person. Okay, and and Sam Sam Harris. I'll acknowledge at the outset I don't I don't follow everything, so I'm not going to jump on his side. But neuroscientist has a lot of uh, very strong points that he makes. But one of the interesting ones was Jordan Peterson danced around a definition. This is why I wanted to jump in with it, like start our, our conversation with a definition because sure. for two hours they talked about Sam Harris asked a very a simple question of Jordan Peterson. He said, "Is Christianity true?" And he said, "Well, it would take me 25 hours to answer that." Mm-hmm. He was like, "Well, why don't you just say yes or no?" Like, yeah. basically, right? That was what Sam said. And he was yeah. like, well, because it's not that simple. And over the course of two, two and a half hours, they, what, what it came to be was that Jordan Peterson's definition of true was utility. Mm-hmm. It was, was it useful? Mm-hmm. And at the time, 100% it was, right? Yeah. Like, uh, and, and that's mm. what he was saying. Was it socially useful? But the problem is, is that's not how most people define the fucking word true. Well, I so think he danced around. When, well, you, look yeah, at, when you look at how uh, any religion came to power, it was a lack of education. Yeah. That really, uh, that, that really kind of started it. Um, are we close to 90 minutes here? Oh, or? yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, we're doing. Uh, that's we reached we're about ten minutes ago, so that's oh no kidding. That's oh, sweet. definitely a good, yeah, a good run. Well, you know what? Let's uh, let's tie it up with a bow because both. I think one of the things that we want to be unique about is is coming to a common understanding. Yeah. And I think that we can both agree that right now the people are are overburdened, whether that's social tax uh, or direct tax, like we've been talking about today. Yeah. And I think that the other thing that we agree on is. People are allowed to fail all the time. Yeah. Why aren't companies? Exactly. Right? And, and I think that that's probably the best place to leave it. Because yeah, yeah. we... I, I like to leave on a point of agreement. I like to still maintain our friendship after Absolutely, all of these. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Smoke and, uh, a stogie and have a good day. It's kind of yeah, funny. We haven't that, got into uh, any like yelling matches yet. No. Or, no, like, no. Like, so like basically we're like all pretty much agreeing that less personal tax more business tax yeah yeah or, you know i, I just think it very, make it equal simply. yeah make it fair uh and you know if there's gonna be a tax tax everybody to the same laws 
And, uh, you know, unfortunately, there has to be a tax because you're going to be creating a tax. If you take away government, you're going to put it up to the private industry. Right? Yeah. Like the whole uh, lamp, uh, you know, uh, outside lamppost uh, argument I brought up. Someone's going to have to pay for that yeah. because there's such a uh, utility gained from it yeah even though the individual paying for it won't see the gains the free illumination is you know it's, uh, it's part of it's utility exactly. for all of society yeah. and i think that that's the fact that we can agree on that regardless of, of whether or not we can agree on the source of the income needed to to mm-hmm. pay for all that that's that's i think that yeah. because because there's I, there's I, too many moving parts in that i think it was really awesome that we both agree that our tax dollars shouldn't go to bailing out companies i think yeah. we should let them fail i, I agree and, you know whether you're right wing left wing whatever i mean failure is part of life and yeah. like you said why shouldn't it be part of business yeah. and it seems that the, you know the more we uh, look at society as a whole under you know this kind of microscope where we have opinions from both sides of the fence uh yeah we might want we might not agree on how to get there but the goal is ultimately the same yeah right and yeah let these businesses fail stop these bailouts and uh let's get some more common ground 100 percent. well i think that if anything, what we strive to do is to just show that there is a shitload of common ground Absolutely. because that really is, I think, the most eye opening thing to people that uh, whether they fall on the left or the right, mm-hmm. they probably are wondering why it seems so difficult to have these conversations. And I think a lot of the time it's because they're not spouting their ideas. They're spouting the ideas that are presented. to them. And you brought up a really good point last week about uh, the big short. And you said, hey, when we all got together and said, stop these fucking bailouts, we were all on the same page. I mean, the Occupy movement had its shortfalls. Absolutely not a very organized (laughs) thing. Uh, But when we all fight together and find this common ground, we become a more powerful society because we can't be pitted against each other based on, oh, you're right wing and you're left wing. You got to be different. No, in a lot of ways, we agree that there are pitfalls in how society is structured and we can find that. Well, if you cut off the wing, the bird doesn't fly. That's right? right. Like, so at the end there of the day, there is a gooch between the cunts and the <laughs> assholes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so goes another episode of the gooch. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks yeah. for tuning in guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll see you next Friday. Woo.